Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for GWBC Radio's Open for Business. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of GWBC's Open for Business, and this is going to be a good one. Today, we have with us Cornelia Shipley with 3C Consulting. Welcome. Hi, Lee. How are you this morning? I am doing great. I'm so excited to learn what you're up to. So can you please share a little bit about what 3C Consulting is doing for folks? Absolutely. So we are a firm that specializes in the retention and advancement of mission-critical talent. So uh, what that really means is we help organizations really think about their recruiting, hiring, development, advancement, promotion, and retention of their key talent. Now, um, most companies will say that their people are their most important asset. Um, What are some clues that maybe they're struggling in that area and they need some help? One of the quickest ways for a firm to really check on its reputation as it relates to their people and get a sense if their culture is actually delivering what they want is through um, a company called Glassdoor, glassdoor glassdoor.com. It's a place where employees have the ability to anonymously share what's happening for them in their organizations. And so we have a lot of clients that um, we, we actually recently got a call from a client who had gone and checked their glass door results and were having some problems they didn't even know that they were having. So it's one of the places when we start working with clients, we check. And when we find things, we tell them to check. So a lot of times you said that this is like kind of news to them. They weren't aware that there were issues. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes their employees haven't been um, as candid as they would have liked. Their culture hasn't created an opportunity where people either feel like it's safe to speak up or when they've spoken up, there hasn't been um, effective action taken. And so people are sharing their experiences and, and the results they're getting or not getting in terms of promotion and development and advancement in public forums. And so that creates real challenges when you're trying to recruit key talent, especially millennial talent and younger that are so computer savvy and so used to using these resources as part of their evaluation process as to whether or not they're even going to work with you. So now what does an engagement look like with your firm? So they, the firm, your, the, your client um, sees that, okay, I got some issues. Let me uh, call the 3C folks. Let's have a conversation. What, what does that initial conversation look like? And then how does an engagement typically progress? Yeah, there really are kind of five key times um, when clients will call us, the first of which is when there's a change in the company's strategy or senior leadership. And the reason for that is because when you when you have a change management issue, that's going to impact the retention of your people. When um, someone's been promoted to the director level or above for the first time, when um, their challenges from a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging perspective, including work with their employee resource groups, development of critical populations as it relates to diversity and inclusion, whether that be the LGBTQ community, people of color, women, et cetera. Um, We'll also get phone calls when there's a desire to do 
uh, development programming or, or executive coaching, uh, typically at the director level and above. And so those are the, the most frequent times clients will call us. And then what happens on our end is we typically start uh, with that client, especially if they're a new client, with some sort of discovery phase where we're going to be doing things like going out on Glassdoor, taking a look at critical assets of the organization, strategic plans and you know, training history and performance history to understand what's happening in the culture. We're typically going to go in and take a peek around, <laughs> kick the tires, as we would say, and then we'll craft a plan with them about what we think the best recommended solution is, and then adjust that plan based on their culture and specific objectives. We also on the front end will work with our clients to determine their return on their investment, uh, which we think is really important. It's, it's hard when you do services instead of a product that, that uh, there's a plan for measuring that ROI. So we'll do that with the client upfront and then we will uh, customize our solution it is very rare that we deliver the same exact solution the same way twice um, because companies culture, we call it corporate America for a reason. It's similar, but it's not the same. And so we want to make sure that the solutions we're providing are culturally competent to the organization. We'll deliver that to the organization and then um, do some measuring of their return and determine what, if any, additional support that they need. And then, so that's process. and then your work it is holistic for the organization or sometimes you go in and triage like an individual if they're struggling? We do both. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get a phone call if we, if we've got a, a group or an individual uh, leader or leaders who is um, struggling or who more often from a proactive perspective has been promoted to a new role and they, and that role is critical to the success of the organization and they want to surround that person with the right level of support. Now, during this uh, interesting time in the history of our country, really, uh, a lot of things are happening simultaneously. They're really stressing organizations, and I would imagine most organizations don't have the kind of people or the skill set to, to at least navigate how they communicate and how they work with their individual organization. Are you finding a lot of work nowadays in helping people deal with pandemic, remote learning, this unrest, all of the stuff that's happening, it seems simultaneously? Yeah, so we've been doing um, work both around COVID and the civil unrest we've been experiencing. We've been helping um, many of our clients think through strategically if they're going to be returning their employees to work, and if so, when and how. Um, and we've been helping them think through the impacts of that from a performance perspective, from a retention perspective, from a data security perspective, and from a promotion and advancement perspective. So this is the first time um, in my history as a professional anyway, where leadership is acutely aware that the, the decisions that they're making for their employees are now life and death. And I think this is, it's been different in terms of the level of um, intensity and the level of care that so many of our clients are taking to really determine how to return their employees to work responsibly. We're also helping them think through 
because of the pandemic and because of the nature of work from home, whether it's now the right strategy for them to keep their workforce at home one, and then what does that mean in terms of access and upgrade to talent? Because if you now have a remote workforce and you were you know, in Atlanta, Georgia, you have an option now to get talent from anywhere. So what does that mean in terms of your recruiting strategy? What does that mean in terms of your development strategy? What does that mean in terms of how you leverage technology to really keep your employees engaged? So we're helping them with that as part of the pandemic. And then when we think about the social uprising, we do a significant amount of work in the diversity and inclusion space. And so we typically start with the senior most most of leadership in the organization to really understand what their actual goals are as it relates to diversity and inclusion, and then help them to really surround them with the tools that they need to be successful, to be leaders and advocates for the change that they want to see. And then we start doing the work of educating and empowering people with things like bystander training and allyship so that they really understand how that they can behave, can be behaving and really change the culture so that everyone can show up, contribute fully and deliver their best work to bottom line, drive the profitability of the organization. Now, in your work, do you kind of have a sweet spot, an industry that you specialize in, or is this kind of industry agnostic? Uh, We get calls from almost every industry. We've worked um, in consumer goods a significant amount. My background is in consumer goods. I worked for uh, a very large food manufacturer and the largest consumer goods company in the world for 10 years. So we get a lot of consumer goods calls. We do a lot of work in the entertainment space. We do a lot of work in the construction space. And then we do interesting work in the healthcare space. As you can imagine, um, healthcare is an interesting place to be right now. When we actually get off of this uh, conversation today, I've got a a call with a chief people officer at a large healthcare system to really talk through what they're thinking through in terms of their doctors and nurses, not only their development, but ensuring that they're actually able to get some respite before the anticipated next surge comes. So we're getting a chance to do really interesting work with our clients because of the unique challenges of the time. Now, um, is there any significance for the three C? Are there three C's? Uh, How did the name come come up? So the three C stands for clarity, capability, and capacity. So organizations need to be really clear about where they're going. They need to to ensure that organizations have the capability, the skill sets to be able to be successful and that their systems are designed to be successful and that their leaders have the capacity both to lead and empower people and then to deliver on their daily objectives. And so that's what the three C's stand for. Now, do you have any advice for businesses out there, maybe some low-hanging fruit that you're like, why aren't they doing this? Like people, if they would just do this, this would solve a bunch of problems. Is there any kind of um, easy stuff out there that people just typically aren't you know, paying attention to or aren't taking advantage of? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things um, we find in organizations where they're really struggling is they haven't figured out how to close the feedback loop with their employees effectively so that they can actually take action on what they're hearing. Part of the reason that so many organizations are getting poor rep- representation and um, ratings on 
on websites like Glassdoor is because they're not listening to their, their employees. So employees will say, this is a problem. They repeat that you know, on numerous occasions, numerous people raise the problem and systemically the organization doesn't have the capacity or the capability to address the issue. And so they lose people. And if those people are disgruntled, it's creating an image and brand problems in the marketplace as an employer of choice. Now, um, your work, you spend a lot of time working in the conscious business ethics space. Can you explain what that is and why that's so important to you? Absolutely. So I'm actually getting my PhD in conscious business ethics. Uh, it's been a fascinating uh, research journey for me. And it's really about what does it mean to be intentional, conscious, and aware of the results you're intending to get in the organization and to be conscious and aware of the culture that you're creating and the systems you're creating to drive that productivity and that bottom line result. And so we help people think through how are they designing the organization for maximum productivity and culture impact to create the culture that they both want and need for the people in the organization to be successful. Now, um, there's a lot of, I, I think business needs a better PR agent because there's a lot of um, kind of bad reputation of business, like business leaders as greedy, exploitive. But I found in my career, a lot of business, especially small to mid-sized business, are just doing the best they can or trying to be a good steward and be a good stakeholder to their community. Or do you find that to be so as well? Yeah, I think at the core, people want to do the right thing. I think part of the challenge is we're finding that that potentially can mean different things to different people. And so if you believe you're doing the right thing, but you're getting feedback in your organization that says you're not, the challenge becomes um, being able to have the space and awareness to listen to that feedback, and then the skill set and capacity to make a shift. And more often than not, where we see resistance show up in leaders, it's because one, they feel personally attacked, especially as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion work, right? If you're a white male in an organization and you have um, you know, let's just say been an advocate for civil rights for most of your life. And suddenly, you know, people like me show up and say, you know, we need to do this diversity initiative. Um, one, you may have seen it a hundred times before and you might not be bought in. And two, you might be personally offended because you've been committed to these issues and that's not been recognized. So I think it's important when we start to dig into this work that we recognize that people are in all kinds of places and you have people in the organization who think it's a great idea to be inclusive and people in the organization who don't. And you've got to have an integrated plan to talk through how you deal with that. And typically we help our organizations really connect issues around diversity and inclusion back to their core values and help them to treat it like any other business issue so that there's not this sense that the issues around diversity and inclusion are treated differently than the issues around selling widgets in the organization. And then that gets back to your first or one of your C's of clarity. You all have to be on the same page and clear and, um, and each party has to feel safe to be sharing and be vulnerable to have these kind of deeper discussions. That's right. That's right. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about your book uh, that you released a while ago, Design Your Life. How did that come about and what uh, kind of compelled you to write a book? So I, uh, I started to work on Design Your Life back in 2003. I was living in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and the culture there really struck me, the whole no worries attitude um, and just the way that, that people in Australia live their life. And when I got back to the United States, I really realized for me, there were so many people in the US who were quite frankly, just exhausted and who were asking me the question, how did I get into this position, this job that I hate in a marriage that's not making me happy um, with children that I'm constantly arguing with, all of these things that were negatively impacting their quality of life. And so I wanted to, to write a book that would help people actually create more meaning, joy, and that sense of contribution in their life. Because there's only so many people our boutique consulting firm, um, you know, reaches, right? Every year we, we work with a handful of companies, some of which we've been working with for several years. And so I wanted to write this book so that every person could could potentially read it. I mean, I'm not conceited enough to think everybody will, but um, it's available as a resource to help people really strategically plan their life and their work. And then what are some of the steps that a person can start taking in order to start designing a more meaningful life? One of the biggest things that people tell me once they've read the book or people, my clients who've read the book, say to me is that this notion of deciding what you want to say yes to, especially as a woman, is critically important. So women typically won't ask for a promotion until they're 90 to 110% ready for the job that they want. Men, on the other hand, will ask when they're about 30% ready. And on that journey, women will accept a lot of work that they don't necessarily want to do, or they'll accept work that isn't in alignment with their goals and objectives. So when they read the part about crafting your say yes standards and really being clear about the seat you're trying to take and crafting a plan to get there strategically, instead of having that happen to you by happenstance, that, that has been the biggest impact for people on their professional career side. Yeah, I've heard that a lot, that um, a woman has to feel like they're exactly the right fit, that they have every single qualification before they raise their hand and where a guy will be like, yeah, I can figure that out later. Yeah. You know, well, I'll just right. go for it. And, That's right. And yeah. wh- how do you, I mean, that has to be something that's happening at childhood, right? Where th- these kind of thought patterns start? That's right. So, you know, from the time you are born until the time you're seven years old, your subconscious mind doesn't have the ability to reject any idea. And so as parents and as people who are creating environments for children, we have to be very careful about the messaging we give them. And so we give messaging to young girls that says, you have to be prepared. (laughs) We don't give those same messages to little boys. We tell little boys, you be adventuresome, meet the challenge, you can, you know, you can overcome. And so they take those two very distinct and different mindsets into their organization. And that has them show up and do work and approach work very differently. 
So absolutely, we do a lot of work um, in our executive coaching and strategic advisory space where we're helping people understand their programming, their, their thoughts and beliefs that are driving their behaviors. And so once we help them see what those are, if they're working for them, great. If not, they have the decision about taking on a belief that actually will support them to get what they want. Yeah. So it's a critical part of our process. Right. And then it's funny how important language is and the, the words you use uh, to describe something and the, and the words you use to describe yourself. Absolutely. And the, the bigger impact is the words that you use to describe yourself and the words that you accept other of other people's descriptions of you, mm-hmm. because you will live up to or down to people's expectations of you. Yeah, that that word clarity comes up a lot in your work, huh? It does. It absolutely does. Well, now tell us about uh, GWBC. How has that organization impacted your business? It's been great. I've had the the really big pleasure for the last couple of months um, to be the keynote speaker for the uh, Wells Fargo uh, three R three boot camp. And so we've done one session um, on retool. We're getting ready to do um, uh, two more sessions over the course of the the fall season. And so that's been amazing. Um, It's also been great to um, get a chance to really connect with some of the women in the organization, find some collaborative partners. There's some people that we collaborate with here in the Georgia market to do work with. We recognize, especially in the pandemic, but this was true pre-pandemic as well. You can go further, faster, farther um, when you partner. And so that's been really great to really find some good strategic partners that were already in the GWBC community that we could leverage their skill sets and they could leverage ours. Um, Do you have any advice for women business owners who aren't familiar with GWBC, some of the benefits that you've gained just in having, I would imagine, this safe network that is kind of people in the same boat as you that look like you, that sound like you, that maybe experience similar things to have that kind of a group together where you can, you know, share and help and um, advise in a way that maybe is uh, more comfortable than it would be in their real day job or in in their day-to-day life? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice I would give to women business owners that are are considering GWBC or who are new to it is get clear about what you're trying to get out of it and then position yourself in the organization in the spaces and places either where your potential prospects and clients will be. So taking advantage of the matchmaker opportunities that exist in GWBC, making sure that you're attending the conferences that happen so that you can actually connect with both your business clients and potential collaboration partners and mastermind groups. Um, And then that you consider taking on a leadership role because it's a great way to get visibility and to um, have Roz and the rest of the GWBC team understand the work that you do. So when they're getting those phone calls saying we need to help solving problem X, they can immediately say there's a great woman business owner who can help you solve that problem. Right. I think that's great advice, especially for people at the beginning of their career to really find those organizations that are the right fit and then lean into them and then just immerse yourself, uh, volunteer. You know, you'll get great opportunities to lead. 
You'll get great opportunities to network and demonstrate your skills in front of people that can really catapult you to the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more that you you give, there's a great saying that givers gain. And so the more that you give, the more that you're um, top of mind, especially for people like Roz, who you know are getting phone calls every day from some business leader in the metro Atlanta or North or South Carolina community saying, we have this problem. If she understands what you do and she's had an experience with you, she's better positioned to be able to refer you. And then I'm sure that you will agree that the more people that do that, uh, they're living into that conscious business ethic uh, kind of That's way right. of thinking, That's right? right. They're, being in, they're being very intentional <laughs> in terms of managing not only their personal brand, but their company's brand. And we know that even in this technology age, people do business with other people. And the more social proof and the more raving fans you have in your business, the easier it is for you to continue to grow your business and your bottom line profitability. Good stuff. Well, it's been great speaking with you. If somebody wants to learn more about your organization or if they need some help in the challenge that they're experiencing, what is the best way to get a hold of you or and or some of your books? Because you have a second book coming too, right? Yeah, so the second book's not done yet. We're still in the middle of writing, which has been amazing, researching and writing. Uh, But my book, Design Your Life, is available on Amazon.com. It is the yellow book cover. I tell that to people because there's a couple of books titled Design Your Life, so it's the yellow book cover. And um, people can find me online. Uh, Our website is 3C Consulting. So that's two C's, 3CConsulting.com. Our email address is info, I-N-F-O, at 3CConsulting.com. And I am Cornelia Shipley on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram. And those are the three, uh, those are the three biggest uh, social media that I use. And well, Facebook. So three, uh, there's four. Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And it's all Cornelia Shipley. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're doing such important work and we appreciate you. Well, Lee, thank you so much for having me on today. This was great. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on GWBC Open for Business.